as we start this kind of mini-series on the kingdom of God and the workplace, it's really important to remember, I think, that our vision and our why is Jesus himself. Because he is more important than anything or anyone else. No one in the universe matters more than Jesus. No, no one in the universe is more controversial than Jesus. We love him because of who he is, because he's the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we don't start with you know, tactics or strategies or ways of doing things. We start with Jesus himself. And only then comes transforming Sheffield, make life better, make disciples. Because he's our way, our truth, our life. And when, when you find Jesus, you find everything. And without him, we can't do anything of real value. And today, I want us to focus on how our mission to make disciples and make life better plays out in the workplace. You know, bearing in mind that most people here either are in or will be in the workplace and spend about a third of their waking life at least in the workplace. And it's often a sphere that churches don't seem to value or pay attention to very much. And I'm sorry about that. If you are in education, you know, you're at uni, there are some very similar issues for you. If you're not in either of those, if you're retired or you're doing something else, there will be things in your context that relate to what I'm saying, though you may have to do some translation. And if you're in the workplace or in education, I want you just to think for a moment what your week was like. You know, it may have been a standard Monday to Friday week. It may have been part-time. You know, I don't know what your pattern is, but just have a little think about what your week was like. What was its texture? How did it feel? What occupied your thoughts at work this week? How did you feel while you were at work? Was it stimulating or was it boring? You know, was it a nice group of people to be with or you know, were there some bullies or unpleasant people around? How, how were the relationships? What was it like to be with the other people in your workplace just this week? Work is a gift. It can also be hard. On a day when we remember the First World War, our mistress, I think um, the gift bit's particularly strong to me because I think it's such a gift to be able to work and not fight. Doing a job well makes life better and is a kingdom win. Whether you have a high-status, high-paid job or a low-status, low-paid job, doesn't matter. Doing it well makes life better. It's a kingdom win. And some of us in this fellowship have jobs that are hugely demanding and which, if done well make a massive, 
positive difference to the city. Others of us have jobs that are kind of more intermediate than that. Doesn't matter. Any job done well makes life better and is a kingdom win. Jesus made life better for people who did not or did not appear to respond spiritually to him at all. Nine lepers walked away. One leper came back. Jesus healed all the leprosy. But I want to take it a step further than that because we are a disciple-making church, part of a disciple-making movement among the churches. And discipleship is about the whole of life. Not just a corner of life that is to do with believing in God and believing in Jesus. Jesus taught the 12 to live well across everything. How to do it well across every part of their life. You know, from breakfast to going to sleep. And I want to remind you that if you are in the workplace, then the Holy Spirit has a foot in the door in that place. The door is open to the Holy Spirit where you work because you're there. He's got a, you know, the door's not slammed shut. If you are there, then the Holy Spirit is present because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in you. And Nearly all of us have someone who discipled us into the kingdom. Well, I certainly did. Some people do come in by direct revelation from the Lord, or they just pick up a Bible on their own and find faith. You know, there are, there are people like that. But most of us have someone who helped us along the way. And I, I'd like to tell you about the second best discipler I ever had. The best one is the person who led me to faith, him and that small group of Christians in my university who nurtured my faith and made sure that the seed that was planted didn't get lost. But I want to tell you about the second best discipler I had, who was a guy named Roger. In the first real job I had after, you know, casual and gap year work. And there I was... Newly qualified, young lawyer, 24-year-old, and um, looking for a job. And I ended up working in a large legal department of a British multinational manufacturing company. And um, it wasn't a very interesting job to begin with. Um, My job was to sort out the pension schemes, which is legally tricky, but these were old pension schemes that had been set up after the First World War, as it happens, to bless the workers in the northern mill. And um, although they were generous when they were set up, by now they paid a pound a week if you'd worked 40 years. So so you, you can see that almost nothing turned on the work that I had to do, but it still needed sorting out, and that was my job. Um, but my boss saw something in me and he didn't leave me there. Roger was head of the department. He recruited me. I stayed there 10 years. He wasn't a believer. He would never have used language about disciples. But nevertheless, discipling is what he did for me. 
He taught me how to do the job because he was really good at it. Learning what the law is is one thing. Learning how to practice law is something else entirely. How to advise and negotiate, you know, what really matters and what doesn't, what you do in difficult situations, how you handle awkward clients and partners, that is something else entirely. And Roger was very good at it. And he took me with him when he, you know, when he went to negotiate deals and contracts, he took me with him. And I watched how he prepared for it, how he interacted with people, what he held out for, what he let go of. And then he would process with me afterwards. He'd say, did you notice this? Did you notice this? Did you notice this? And I'd say, well, yeah, but why did you, you know, why did you push for, well, I did that because of this, because of this. And then he let me loose on some of these smaller deals, and that was an interesting experience. And he was very, very tough-minded. He was tough. He was a rigorous thinker. But he was very, very straight. He wouldn't lie or cheat or have anything to do with bribery or, or collude with anything like that. He didn't gossip he always gave credit to people on his team who did something well. He was politically astute. He knew how the organization worked, but he wasn't at all political himself. And he changed the culture of the legal department from rather pompous and a bit self-important and frankly not very good hope that no one ever listens to me who was there before that time, um, to something that valued excellence and was focused on serving the company well. And, you know, he worked hard, but he wouldn't stay late to impress people. I developed a huge respect for Roger. And when he left, I was ready to do his job, and because he'd trained me up, I got the job. And then I tried to put into practice what I learned from him. And this is part of making life better, to develop other people and disciple them, to take responsibility for the culture you find in your workplace and do something about it. Now, Roger wasn't a believer, and I was. But imagine if it had been the other way round. Imagine that he'd been a red-hot Christian and I had been, you know, totally whatever. He couldn't have done anything better than what he did with me to introduce me to Jesus. Because I was really interested in what made Roger tick. You know, I really respected him. I really listened to what he thought. He didn't just teach me about law. He taught me about life as well. You know, when Anne and I were taking our, our first mortgage, we kind of avoided the endowment trap that many couples, young couples at, at that stage fell into. Because Roger said, oh, you know what? Never speculate with money that you can't afford to lose. And I was like, okay, that's good. I'll, I'll just go for the straight mortgage then. You know, and stuff like that. If he'd been a Christian and I hadn't, you know, what he thought mattered to me, I really, really 
respected him. But my church world felt miles apart. And we rarely talked about work. And if there was a sermon, it would mostly be defensive and, you know, around things like maintain your integrity and make sure you don't use office supplies for personal use and irrelevant stuff. I'm being a bit unkind, but you get the picture. And, and work was clearly necessary and affirmed. You know, yes, you need to have a job. But there wasn't a model or a practice for how you are a Christian in the workplace. And um, we were taught models of evangelism, but, but they were very propositional, based on winning an argument. And they kind of tended to assume a very short timescale for coming to faith. And they tended to work for people who had really strong evangelistic gifts. And if we told our story with God, it kind of was supposed to be within a theological model, you know, like the four spiritual laws, stuff like that. And um, I, was, I was really quite defensive about saying I was a Christian. I'm just being honest with you. I was really quite defensive about saying I was a Christian. It felt a bit like admitting I eat cats for breakfast. You eat, you eat cats, people's pets. Well, well no, no, not, not pets, just strays. But isn't that terribly cruel? Oh, no, no, they're, they're all killed quite humanely. Oh, we eat cornflakes. You know, it felt a bit like that. You know, over the last hundred years, the culture has swung from we're mostly Christian, at least nominally, to we don't really like Christianity at all. Or at least that is how Christians perceive it because the enemy exaggerates that in our hearts in order to intimidate us. Actually, it's a lot less black and white than that. And actually, people are a lot less resistant to Jesus than they are to church or Christianity the religion. And I know now to relax. I know now that people come to faith at their own pace, that I don't have to stress about it because it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. I know now that my own story with all its ups and downs is far more helpful and engaging to people than a theologically correct presentation I know now that it really doesn't matter if I don't have an answer or if I get the answer wrong. It really doesn't matter. And I, and I want to come back to John 14 that we read earlier, that Nikki read for us, and particularly verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the fundamental reality. The universe exists because of him, moment by moment. And do you know that? In the Bible it says, he upholds all things by his powerful word. Just this next second's existence of the entire universe depends on Jesus. 
He's beyond and before everything else. And unless you love him and you catch something of who he is, you will find being his in the workplace very hard. But you can ask for more. If you're empty, you can ask for more. He is the way. And by just doing your job for him as much as for yourself, you make life better. Do not see yourself in the workplace as a victim. It's very common for us to see ourselves in the workplace as victims. You know, because we feel that intimidation. Do not see yourself as a victim. You are not a victim. You have the Holy Spirit within you. He is bigger than anyone else in your office. Now, obviously, Roger had a really responsible role and a lot of influence and decision-making. And if you're just starting out and you're at the kind of entry level in your job, you won't have the possibilities that someone who's senior will have. But you can still do something. Are you looking to develop people in your job? Not just tell them about Jesus. Are you looking into giving away everything you have in your job? Because that is kingdom enterprise. For them to be able to do it as well as you can do it, that is kingdom enterprise. Who are you looking to develop in your job? Who are you making a disciple of in the broadest possible way? Because that is as much kingdom stuff as telling them about the gospel. And I guarantee you, if you do for people what Roger did for me, they will want to know what makes you tick. They will be interested in you. They will value you and respect you because you are not like other people who take the credit when they do something good. You do not gossip about them to other people. You value them. You teach them. You're glad when they're as good as you are. If you do that for people, they will sit up and take notice. And I'm saying that in itself is a kingdom enterprise. Even if you can't see them respond... I guarantee you it will also make a spiritual difference. Are you willing to take responsibility for what you can influence? It's often just the first step. And if I was doing it again and knew what I knew now, I would have used a lunchtime just to create community and get people to relate more as people than just as, you know, this is my task. Nowadays, there's not so much lunchtime stuff happening in the workplace, but, you know, do people take a walk around the block? You know, is there, is there, I mean, it depends a bit on life stage, but is there an evening in the week you can go for drinks together? Can you subvert the culture so that people are more relational? Or, or is there a kingdom issue, maybe about how, women or, or minorities are treated, you know, is this something that without getting all high and mighty and self-righteous, is there gossip? Is there something you need to subvert? And, you know, not just pray intercede defensively but expect a miracle to happen. Expect to see the supernatural power. You know, is it gossip and just unpleasant? Can, 
Can you subvert the culture in your workplace? Are you willing to take responsibility for what you can do rather than fret about what you can't do? He's the way, but he's also the truth. And sometimes it is going to be uncomfortable for us, even if we get everything right. And because you're human, like me, you won't get everything right. You will make mistakes and say the wrong thing and you know, treat people in the wrong way. You will. And sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable for us. Sometimes we will have to say, I don't believe that, or I don't agree with that, and nobody else is going to empathize with that. You'll be out on a limb on your own. Or challenge something, or, or be the person who blows the whistle, or even the person who gets fired. The gospel is incredibly invitational, but the cross comes with a challenge, and we can't escape that. I reckon at least two-thirds invitation to one-third challenge is a very good mixture. But, but, you know, there will come a time when you can't avoid the challenge. And you may need to upskill. You know, because people will say things. People will say things like, well, you know, there can't be a God because of all the suffering, or what about other religions, or don't Christians hate all gays, you know, and stuff like that. Questions that are not easy to deal with. And um, you may need to upskill. You do not need to be an expert in apologetics. You may need to upskill. And um, one of the things I find helpful is to ask whether I'm dealing with a parrot or a porcupine. Okay? Not the people, but the argument. So the parrot is when the person is saying it and it's just received wisdom. It's what was said in their family, it's what's said at school. You know, every, you know, they've just heard it growing up, oh, you know, we don't believe in God, all that suffering in the world. But they've never actually thought it through. They, they've never actually, that, that's just, you know, they've heard it said. And with, with parrots, the thing is to be totally undefensive and say, oh, yeah, that's interesting, why do you think that? And nine times out of ten, they won't know why they think that. And it will start a discussion going. And you will never have a knockdown argument that satisfies people. But they don't have knockdown arguments for the issues in their lives either. Nobody has knockdown arguments for what goes on in our lives. It doesn't matter. You are not trying to argue them into the kingdom. You're just wanting to show that you have thought about this and it is intelligent and it is believable. You're not trying to win anything. That's the parrot. The porcupine is where the person is really hurting. And they say about the God of love, but it's because their mum died when they were 10 years old. And they, they don't need arguments at all. All they need to know is that you care and that God cares and that he didn't want that to happen either. That's all they need to know. Do not turn that into a discussion group. Be transparent as much as you can. Be bold and transparent. Transparent isn't pushy. 
Now, windows are transparent, so you can look through and see what's on the inside. And finally, Jesus is the life. He's the life. If there isn't something about us that communicates life, it's, you know, it's not, we're not going to get that far. And one of the things that we can do is share life. And you'll find if you're in the workplace that conversation turns to life outside the office. People will ask you what you do. People will say things like, oh, what did you do on the weekend? And there's a number of ways you can answer that. You can bottle out and not say anything about being a Christian and just say, oh, we went to this nice restaurant on Saturday. Or we did this sport. Or you can say, I went to church on Sunday, which is fine as far as it goes, but what they will hear from that is not very engaging. Or you can take a step beyond the level of self-disclosure that people normally do. And you can say, you know what? In the worship at our church on Sunday, I was just caught up in the presence of God. I just realized again how good God is. You know, if that was true, don't say if it's not true. Or you can say, oh, you know what? We've been praying for our little boy who's been having nightmares. And we've been praying for quite a while. And this weekend, there were two nights running when he didn't have any nightmares. And we're just so grateful to God for that. Or you can say, oh, you know what? Our community's been working with, with, with someone in recovery who's part of our community. And it's a really bad weekend because they went on a bender. You know, that's, that's not success that you're sharing. But that, too, communicates something about you and the kingdom. And you'll know if you've had any leadership training in church that if you're in a small group, no one will ever share at a deeper level than you will. But the same is exactly the same as at work. If you are willing to be vulnerable and self-disclosing, then other people have permission to do that too. It really would have helped me if I'd been part of a community. It really would have helped me if I'd been part of a community in our church with other people who had sort of, in some ways, a similar sort of job and some understanding of what being a disciple in the workplace looks like, some understanding that making life better and developing people and being as transparent and non-distensive as I can and looking for miracles, looking for miracles that are not just protecting my own vulnerability, looking for more than that. It would have helped me so much. Are you in a community that understands what you do at work and that has a kind of vision for what discipleship in the workplace looks like that's real and lived out and embodied and can cope with failure as well as success?
You're going to have to do, get a bit of a move on now. Um, one, one of the things I wanted to do was to pray for people in the workplace today who have significant responsibility. Um, and the way I want this to work, if you're not sure whether you do or don't, then you do. And to ask you to stand so that the rest of us can just bless you. Would you, would you do that? There are a few more. Don't be um, humble about this. Now, if you might have significant responsibility, then you do have res- significant responsibility. Okay. So if those around, without being intrusive, could just check it's all right to lay a hand on a shoulder, just lightly, would you do that? And we're going to give thanks for these guys because they are at the cutting edge of the kingdom of God in our church. Every bit as much as you might think I am. Lord, thank you for our brothers and sisters and the authority that you have given them. And we ask Jesus that it will be like the parable of the talents and they multiply what you've given them ten times. We pray that you would give them boldness, but appropriate boldness. We pray they would be so transparent about the hope that's within them. We pray that you would be teaching them all the time about developing people and raising them up and giving away what they've been given. We pray that they will have supernatural dreams and passions for what they do to see success happen through them, whatever it means in their work. And God, we pray for those, including those who are carrying heavy work burdens at the moment. I know at least one person, no, two people in our church who are doing that at the moment, three people I know, who've got particularly heavy burdens at work at the moment, none of their own making. Lord, pour out your kingdom grace Pour out your kingdom power. Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done.